Well, th- there's some different views on that. One of the views, as far as the ordering of the Psalms, uh, the order that we have them in today is probably from um, the time after the exile. Thanks, Tim. Uh, the time after the exile, where they were put together in their final form, including uh, what's called the superscripts, a Psalm of David, you know. Um, it's believed that Psalm 1 and 2 may have one time been one psalm, possibly. Um, psalm 2 looks like a Psalm of David, and Psalm 1 looks like a Psalm of David, um, Psalm 3 is a psalm of David, and it says when he fled from Absalom, his son. So that's later on in his life. Uh, it's, uh, that is a, um, an evening psalm. Psalm 4, uh, psalm of David, possibly during the same time period, uh, a morning and really an evening psalm. Psalm 5 is a morning psalm. Psalm of David, possibly during the time of him fleeing from Absalom as well. There is some speculation, the best we can do, that Psalm 6 was also written by David um, when he was fleeing from Absalom. I don't think, I don't think, um, what he's describing here absolutely fits that really, really well. That's just my own opinion. It seems like he's ailing and he's sick, but he's also... um, He's weak. He's praying for healing, which could be physical, emotional, spiritual... Mental, and then my soul also was greatly troubled. His, his inner being, his inner self. Um, uh, and, and so the call for deliverance. So what you could have here too is he, because this is a highly emotionally charged psalm. Look at verses 6 and 7. I'm weary of my groaning all night in my bed. I swim, I drench my couch with tears, my eyes wasted waste away because of grief and grows old because of all my enemies. Um, Highly emotional psalm. His bones, which is referring to, it's a physicality, it's it's a physical reference. Now I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but that's okay because I I think that was a good question. So I'm going to kind of, and then I'll backtrack a little. But um, it could even be physical ailments that he's feeling or physical pains that he's feeling because of what he's going through emotionally. Kind of like a psychosomatic thing, uh, which is very real. I mean, people get, get in a very tough place emotionally. It does affect them physically. And... Uh, and it's not, it's not just a thing in their head. It's an, it actually becomes a physical ailment. So a lot of commentators would say, and I'm going to back up to the beginning now, but so that's kind of where we're at with this. 
Some say this was him still fleeing from Absalom. I'm not really sure about that. We don't have a good time frame. Um, But some of the commentators, actually a lot of them, they list this as the first of what's called penitential psalms. Uh, Like penitentiary. Um, You know, that it's almost within this realm of God is punishing you because you have been bad. That's probably what about as far we're going to... There's a lot to talk about in that. There are other psalms that are considered penitential, but not every commentator agrees which ones they are. Um, so basically, psalm for fun, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, which I know we're probably much more familiar with, where, where David confesses his sin after he's been... Uh, been caught with uh, Bathsheba and then the subsequent murder of Uriah, her husband. Um, Psalm 102, Psalm 103, Psalm 143. Um, So, does does God chasten? God chastens. Okay, that's given to us here, possibly. Uh, It's also in Hebrews 12, which I'm trying to get to. And a few other passages as well. We're in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That's 5 and 6, which is from Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. Um, if you endure chastening, Hebrews 12, 7, God deals with you as sons for what? Son, is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Um... So I, I think Hebrews is fairly clear that God does chasten. The real question I have with this, be, because I know a lot of people that whenever somebody is suffering, going through some type of trial, oh, they must have done something wrong and God is chastening them which is, in my mind, just horrible, horrible theology at work, right? Part of that is, in reality, I think, for us to make these kind of calls or judgments about people is probably beyond our pay grade.
It's a very fine line. But and, and sometimes God will permit a trial as a means of growth. Now, a chastening type of thing is a trial as a means of growth, right? That's the whole purpose, right? Job suffered immensely. Did he deserve it? Not according to Job, not according to the, to the book of Job. You know, I would really love to read an account of, maybe we will in heaven, of her perspective on all this. I mean, because, you know, what, what spiritual advice? Just curse God and die. So, yeah, and so it tells us a few times in the book of Job that Job was blameless. And so I think, I think part of the reason why we have the book of Job, it's, it's a huge curveball, breaking curveball to us, for us, particularly when us, when we, um, think we have God all figured out. I think that's part of what's going on here because obviously he's in distress. Do not rebuke me in your anger. Does David believe that God is angry with him? Perhaps, yeah. Um, now, Second Samuel Chapter 12 is the story of when Nathan the prophet confronted David due to his sin of sleeping with Bathsheba, another man's wife, and then having that man being put to death because he got Bathsheba pregnant. And among other things, the prophet speaking to him said that he would repay fourfold, right? He lost four of his sons due to this. And in, in verse 10, it says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Which I find interesting that that's what the prophet speaking, being the mouthpiece of the Lord. You have despised me. Um, actually, it's probably worth a look. We haven't looked. Second Samuel 12. Um, before you read it, back into verse 10 and see if that provides even harder impact. If not, go ahead and read verse 11 for us, if you would, Larry. which is exactly what Absalom did. He took his, his concubines and they pissed a tent on top of the roof and he slept with them all. Um, what's interesting about that as well, backing up just a little, because um, this ties us into 
verse 12, is verse 9. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you've despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So you despise the commandment, adultery, murder, and then on top of that, you, you took Bathsheba as your wife, which is interesting because Bathsheba is the mother of whom? Solomon. So... Um, Verse 13 is interesting because it says, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin that you shall not die. However, because you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. And then Nathan departed the house. Okay. So, See, this is where it's troubling because it was David. If you remember the story of the lamb in this chapter where they stole the lamb and used the lamb, and, and Nathan just made it up. Um, he said that he shall, the, the person who took the lamb that was a pet of the poor family will restore fourfold, fourfold right? So those, those were out of David's. Words out of David's mouth, not the Lord's. Okay. So he confessed and he was forgiven because there was no sacrifice that was going to cover those sins in Torah. There's no sacrifice for it. What? Should have been stoned. Yeah. Your sins have been forgiven, you will not die. And that, what, what exactly does that mean? I, I think you can take it literally and say, yes. They should have taken him out and stoned him uh, after they impeached him. But um, never mind. But anyway. Um, he received forgiveness. And yet. Uh -huh, and yet he never forgot it. And so, I'm, I'm going out on that real thin limb on this, okay? Disagree with me if you want. I don't care. Um, I'm wondering, again, this is just speculating, was that every time he went into difficulty after that time, did he not think that the Lord was chastening him yet again? Perhaps, Maybe. Or maybe there were some other things about his life that are not recorded for us in Scripture that, that he was in constant need of correction. But nonetheless, what these were refining. If you read this psalm, it's describing an incredible struggle, which is also a very refining moment. Um, no doubt he fears God's anger in verse 1. 
Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. And then, then the call upon God for mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled, and my soul also is troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? So he's asking for God's mercy. And this could have been, you know, again, it's, it's speculative, but it bears consideration. One of the commentators was saying this could have, you know, even during the time of Absalom, he was older and, and really maybe not the sharpest pencil in the drawer as far as administratively, possibly. We don't know. Um, we know that in, in here in verse 2 and again in verse 9, um, he recognizes his need of mercy. And in his need of being in, of his need of being, uh, having the mercy of God. Uh, his needs for God's mercy in his life. That's the way I, what I'm trying to say. Um, which, very, I mentioned this before, the Jesus prayer, which is a very ancient prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Which was a prayer that, particularly in the East, that they would recite throughout the day. Uh, east as far as Eastern Orthodox. Um, and just the, the, the calling upon God to provide mercy upon us and not getting what we deserve. Um, and it could have been here too that David was just, I mean, his, his life after, after the affair with Bathsheba, his life was difficult for the most part. Although I don't think that, if the limb was smaller before, it's going to get even smaller, all right? I'm not so sure that God was just waiting up in heaven to wait for David to get himself in the situation so I could just get him again. I, I don't see that in, in, in the, I, the entirety of Scripture does not, Describe this. However, does David have perfect theology? Well, let me give you an example. For in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave. Who will give you thanks? We haven't even got to that yet. But does David have perfect theology? I don't think anybody does. I shouldn't say this, but we're amongst friends, aren't we? Nobody here, of course. But sometimes, some of my struggles is to try to undo teaching that I don't agree with, with folks who, who've been taught a certain way for a number of years. And then they, they show up here and they think I'm a heretic. Um. Maybe I am. <laughs> I, I don't know. What? You did. <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, w none of us have complete theology. And, of course, my view on the Scripture, the, because the Bible says this, it implies inerrancy, but I think there's 
I think we, we, those who take the inerrancy stance try to um, hold that um, really rigidly, if that makes sense. All right. It's, it's, but I believe in, in the inspiration because the scripture says all scripture is what? God breathed, inspired. All right. And so that tells me that God used the instrument that was available for him at that time. The guitar always sounds like a guitar and a piano sounds like a piano. That's just my, my take on that. Um, and I know I could, I could bring in a guy to come and guest speak who would probably, that's all he'd want to talk about is the inerrancy of scripture and probably tell everybody I'm a heretic, but that's okay too. But, um, He's really in touch with his humanity. He's really, he's in touch with his body. He's in touch with his mind. And he's in touch with his soul. That's what makes this psalm really a good psalm. He, he, he's got, in, you know, he's got incredible awareness of what's going on, not only around him, but within him. Yeah. And he, he, he asks, um, He'll ask for the mercies again in verse 4. Oh, we got time. Okay. Um, so my soul is greatly troubled, but you, O oh Lord, how long? How long for what? Probably deliverance from whatever it is that he's going through. He's probably looking for healing. He could have just been, he could have just been really sick physically that it affected him, or vice versa, really sick emotionally that affected him physically. Again, we don't have a good reference point. A lot of people want to point this to Absalom, but it, it almost doesn't... It, the, the narrative of his departure from... Because 2 Samuel 15. The narrative of his departure from Jerusalem does not indicate to me that he's feeling chastened he just it's more of a resol he, he's resolved or resigned himself to the idea that perhaps maybe God is done with him as king I don't know um, yeah I think so you know I, I in and um, that you wake up and you're okay or at least on your way there. Because with, you know what's interesting about, that you mentioned that, Larry, because what's interesting about this psalm, if you read it through again, it's all, if you read it in a chronological framework, which I don't know if that's the best way to read it, all right? But I'm, I'm throwing that out here for fun, but blame it on Larry if you don't like it, because he, he put the idea in my head. It gets worse before it gets better at least in his description, it gets much worse. Um, my soul, my inner person is greatly troubled. Uh, really, <sighs> yeah, it's full of confession. And it's not a laundry list. In other words, you know, or a grocery list, but it's, it's, it's the full orb of what he's experiencing as a, as a person. 
And verse 3, too, my soul is greatly troubled, um, reminds you of the new, where would you remember that in the New Testament? My soul is greatly troubled. Does, does that ring any bells in the New Testament for anybody? Who prayed those words? Yes, Gethsemane. Yeah. And, 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 but for this purpose, I have come into the world. Um, and so, you know, and nobody said anything about this, but this, if you read through these first couple of verses, it, it really is a Gethsemane framework. And perhaps some of this is much more messianic than a lot of people have given it credit for. I'll let you decide. Um, so return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. Oh, I jumped ahead. Let's go back to verse 3. Just a quick rewind. Uh, but you, O Lord, how long? Psalm 37, and I almost, like I said, I hate to comment on, use a psalm to comment on a psalm, but I think sometimes it's, it's good. Psalm 37, verses, um, verses 5 through 8. It's the psalm of David. Notice all it says is a psalm of David. It doesn't say anything about his circumstances whatsoever. Verses 5 through 8, but someone like to read it. I've, or New, New King James. I don't even know what version I have because you read it out of the ESV, right? Okay. It's identical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's this sense of expectation, at least in, in those two translations. Not so much in the Christian standard. Um, but there's a sense of an expectation because it, it's, it, it's waiting for something to be fulfilled. Right? And I think the Christian standard kind of implies that. But it, yeah. That's hang in there because things will get resolved. That's a paraphrase, of course. But that's sort of what it, it is saying. So that really kind of overlays Really, this part of the psalm, uh, really the first, the first maybe three, four verses, and because God doesn't always answer our prayers in what we would consider to be a timely matter, does He? Yeah. I don't know what's, I don't know. What's worse, not in the way you want it to be answered or just being, feeling like you're on hold. <laughs> what's the worst one? I think wait's the worst one. Um, I 
But sometimes God's delaying, or what we would consider to be God's delaying. Now, his ways are perfect and all his ways are just. You know, ascribe greatness to the Lord our God. His ways are perfect and all his, uh, yeah, all his ways are just. All right. Um, Right. I think part of when you recognize that, it's encouraging to help you wait a little bit more sometimes when you think back on, well, God didn't answer it then and it's a good thing he didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. God's delaying, if we want to call it that, and that's not a good word, because it's he doesn't delay. But from our perspective, it feels like it, or appears to be so. His delays are his maturing in our lives. His delays are his maturing in our lives. And probably being told to wait does more at times to grow us in our faith than being told yes all the time. Now, I really, though, wish I would just be told yes all the time. I don't know about you. All the time. Yeah, I'll drink to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the time, you know. You're told, yeah. Yeah, or you could say, instead of I don't care, how about we cross out care and write in the word no. Yeah, you can have that one for free <laughs> if, if you need it. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I think, because we don't like to wait. Nobody likes to wait. And so we attribute all types of things, especially if our waiting is based on somebody else waiting to hear God direct. And so we, we, we come up with all, all types of things. And because, again, in a verse 3, but you, O Lord, how long? There's a lot of desperation, and there's a, probably a, a, a fair amount of, of frustration and some anguish, maybe even some anger in that phrase. Which you can perfectly, I believe, perfectly bring to God. 
Now, he'll have a way of settling that for you when you tell him exactly how you feel. He may kind of adjust that. And there are times that I've, I've really felt that I, in some of my prayers that God almost says to me, really? And I'm like, no. <laughs> but it sure felt good to say it at least for a moment. But anyway, but no. You know, um, his delays are his maturing. Return, O Lord, verse 4, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. What does that mean? Now, it's the Hebrew word hased, which means that unending love. Uh, the mercies are new every morning. Uh, one of the Psalms, where his mercies endures forever, it refers to his unending love, his faithful love, his you can't push it away love. But what, 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 what are your thoughts on verse 4? Or do you have any? Right? Before I die. Uh, and, and that's where some of them think that this was the scenario with Absalom. Um, he has been suffering for a long time. But the idea of God's mercy's sake, save me because of your mercy's sake, what is he appealing to? I think he's one of God's attributes, one of his characteristics, one of the things that he is known for. Which means, what is he appealing to? Not only his attributes, character, characterizations, but his reputation. Moses played the same scenario with God. You mean to tell me that you're not going to go with us into the promised land? As I'm paraphrasing this like crazy. And all the nations are going to say that you delivered us, but then you didn't go with us. which God was always, I think, planning on going with them anyway, but that's another discussion for another time. Lamentations. Too bad Pat's not here. She doesn't like lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. I have it in front of me. I'll read it to you. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Said again, unending love. Because his compassion fails not. They, compassion and mercies, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, Lamentations was probably written by Jeremiah. It's anonymous. A lot of modern scholars don't believe Jeremiah wrote it, but the rabbis, or the, the Rabbinical Judaism all attributed it to Jeremiah. Jerome said it was Jeremiah when he did the Vulgate, the translation from the Bible from Greek into Latin. 
uh, early church, pretty much Jeremiah was the author of Lamentations. And I tend to think that Jeremiah was the author of Lamentations as well as the book with his name. Um, but uh, and the Septuagint gives him credit for Lamentations. Uh, if I remember correctly, they're tied together, Lamentations and Jeremiah in the Septuagint. So, but is this idea of the mercies of God, we are not consumed. Now, David wrote the psalm well before the book of Lamentations was written. 500 years or so. But it's still the understanding of the mercy's sake or the reputation or the attributes or the characteristic of God and, and knowing who God is. Um, and for in death there is no remembrance of you, verse 5, and in the grave who will give you thanks? Now, can the grave praise you? When we're dead, can we praise God? Can we give God thanksgiving? It, worship would be another... Yeah, you say yes. Okay. But are we still alive? We're not still alive. We'll find out. What's that? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, our body is dead, but our soul lives on. 